Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday that I'm going to try to release every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage other than the whole submarine fiasco. But you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. So I along with a pal Jessica and a couple of others, have scoured the internet for the headlines so that you don't have to. Happy commuting, and here we go. Now, guys, I have quite the heavy load for you this Monday morning. <laughs> and our first article comes from WJHL.com. The title reads, Historians Find 150-Year-Old Mass Grave in Jonesboro. So out of Jonesboro, Tennessee, 150 years after disease ravaged Tennessee's oldest town, historians believe they've discovered a mass grave of residents struck down by cholera. 1873 pestilence visits Jonesboro. So in the summer of 1873, a wave of cholera swept the American South. The disease, caused by a bacterial infection of Vibrio cholerae, followed railroad lines across the state. Historical sources say Greenville was nearly abandoned through July and August of 1873 after the arrival of the disease and that refugees from the city were some of the first recorded cases in Jonesboro. Quote, the first case among our resident population was the wife of a gentleman who had waited constantly at the bedside of the first mentioned case from Greenville in the capacity of nurse. Dr. William R. Sevier wrote in a report after the outbreak. So after the arrival of King Cholera, in quotes, many of the town's residents fled to the countryside. Only a fraction remained behind to guard others' possessions, transport supplies, and care for the afflicted. Quote, most people leave town that summer, end quote. Ann Mason, executive director of Jonesboro's Heritage Alliance, said in an interview with News Channel 11, quote, it's like mid-July, mid-August, and the town goes down to a hundred people. And out of those hundred people, somewhere between 30 to 40 people pass away. End quote. So most direct information on the outbreak comes from the reporting of the Jonesboro Herald and Tribune. The paper, published each Thursday at that time, had tracked the progress of cholera through the state until the arrival of the disease shut printing down for three issues. Quote, those that have been fortunate in escaping with their lives from the malignant scourge that has brought death and desolation into so many households will in the future miss many familiar faces from the streets of Jonesboro, end quote. A column in the Herald and Tribune read on August 14, 1873, the first edition after the epidemic. So from 1873 to 2023, Herald and Tribune editors published a list of names of locals who died in the outbreak that totaled at 34, but a century and a half later, there were still questions about their final resting places. 
Quote, we do know where a few of them are buried, Mason said, but there's a whole lot of people who died very quickly in those weeks who just aren't accounted for in any other sort of cemetery database or in any other way. End quote. Rumors of a mass grave for 1873 cholera victims sprung up in the town for decades after the outbreak, and many local historians saw it as plausible enough to mention in their own work. Quote, there's always been this lurking tale of a mass grave out there, end quote. Gordon Edwards, a volunteer historian specialized in cemetery work with the Heritage Alliance, said, so it's always been on my radar to try and find it. Edwards has worked to restore and preserve the old Jonesboro Rocky Hill Cemetery for over a decade, and the site houses the graves of over a thousand of Jonesboro's early residents. Throughout his time volunteering for the Alliance, Edwards worked with archaeologist Dr. Robert Jones to hunt for the location of the remains with little success. The two learned a lot about the site throughout their search, but didn't find the fabled grave. Until now. 2023, their story unearthed. So Edwards and Jones have scanned dozens of burial sites throughout the area, but none came up with the signature of a mass grave. Quote, we've done it several times, maybe six or eight times, Edwards said. Different locations throughout the property, different hunches. We go away frustrated. End quote. Then, one day, Edwards got another hunch based on descriptions of the site being in a, quote, bend at the property and an old photo that showed a fenced area lost to the woods. Edwards cleared the area and asked Jones to return, and the scan was different than anything they'd seen. Quote, seeing it so many times when he ran it over this site, it was like, whoa, Edwards said, it's completely different. Scans of the area revealed a patch of ground roughly 12 feet long by 12 feet wide that extended between 12 and 14 feet deep. No single grave would need to be that large. Quote, this is as big a button we can put on it without actually digging, Mason said, and so we feel very satisfied with that. With the site almost certainly located, the Heritage Alliance can now begin the process of memorializing those who are buried there. Plans for a permanent marker with a history of the epidemic are underway. What the team won't be doing, however, is disturbing the site. Quote, it's a sacred place. That's a really big thing with me personally, Edwards said. Another piece of it, in spite of science today, we might not be able to really identify who's there. End quote. With little to learn and lots to lose, historians aren't eager to go digging up graves. Without digging, however, a few questions will always remain. So this article was sent to me by a listener, and I muchly appreciate it. Thank you. This was a good one. And it really was kind of surprising. It should not have surprised me, but it was kind of surprising how many of you DM'd me on Instagram specifically saying, hey, you just 
made the podcast, the two-parter for Ted Kaczynski, and then he just suddenly dies. Interesting timing. Interesting timing indeed. And with that said comes our next article from KIRO7. The title reads, Mississippi Man Killed When Homemade Explosive Device Detonates in Yard. This is from Bexley, Mississippi. A Mississippi man died on Thursday after a homemade explosive device detonated in the yard at his residence, authorities said. According to a news release from the George County Sheriff's Office, the 27-year-old man was discovered at about 5.30 p.m. Central Time with, quote, significant wounds from an explosive device in the yard of a home in the southeastern Mississippi community of Bexley. He was pronounced dead at the scene, the sheriff's office said. Further investigation of the area led deputies to paraphernalia associated with the making of homemade explosive devices, WLOX-TV reported. The case is being investigated by the Sheriff's Office, the Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. The Biloxi Police Department's bomb squad helped clear the scene, according to the television station. The name of the man killed by the explosives has not been released. According to the news release, George County Sheriff Keith Harvard, quote, would like to remind everyone of the dangers of mishandling fireworks, gunpowder, and other explosive or flammable substances, end quote. Always use safe handling practices when working with or around these substances and never leave them within the reach of children. So the investigation is ongoing, and that's what the sheriff's office said, so... I went out with a bang. I kid, I kid. And as if we have not already had enough drama coming out of Idaho, what with Lori Vallow and Brian Koberger and all of these things going on, well, we have another one. Comes from NBCSanDiego.com, and the title reads, Four people fatally shot at residence in Idaho. Suspect arrested. So police in Idaho arrested a suspect in a shooting that killed four people on Sunday, according to a news report. The Kellogg Police Department and the Shoshone County Sheriff's Office responded to a home in Kellogg around 7.30 p.m. and found four people who died of gunshot wounds, the Shoshone News Press reported on the newspaper's Facebook page. The shooting occurred at multi-dwelling units behind the Mountain View Congregational Church in the city, about 36 miles or 58 kilometers east of, I'm not going to pronounce that name, Cordaline, the news press reported. There was no ongoing threat to the public and an investigation was underway by the Kellogg Police Department and the Idaho State Police, the newspaper reported. The Kellogg Police Department did not immediately respond to an email from the Associated Press seeking additional information. What in the hell is going on in Idaho, guys? Wow. 
And our next one also comes from an international listener. You are very much appreciated for sending me this. I definitely want to know the crazy shit that goes on all over the world. It doesn't even really have to be murder. It can just be the weird stuff that they don't typically put on the news. Send it to me. Send it to me. But our next article comes from cp24.com. The title reads, Four People Wounded by Man Wielding Axe Who Attacked Diners at Chinese Restaurants in New Zealand. Coming out of Wellington, New Zealand. A man with an axe attacked random diners at three neighboring Chinese restaurants in New Zealand, wounding four people, police and witnesses said. Police said the man began to attack at about 9 p.m. Monday in the North Auckland suburb of Albany. Police arrested a 24-year-old suspect at the scene and charged him with wounding with the intention of causing grievous bodily harm. The man, a Chinese national, made a brief court appearance Tuesday. Police did not immediately offer a motive for the attack, but they said they had no evidence it was racially motivated. Auckland City Hospital said Tuesday one patient from the attack remained there in a stable condition. North Shore Hospital said it had one patient with moderate injuries and a second with minor injuries, both of whom were in a stable condition and had earlier discharged a third patient. A diner told the New Zealand Herald newspaper he was eating dinner with a friend when the man walked in and started attacking his friend, who was seriously injured. Quote, I was in shock. When I realized what was happening, he tried to target me, the man who asked not to be named, told the Herald. I blocked his axe with my hand. He was also trying to target my head, so I blocked the axe with my hand. End quote. The diner said the man with the axe chased them out of the restaurant and then turned around and walked into another restaurant. The Herald posted an image of what appeared to be a wood splitter style of axe lying on the sidewalk. Surveillance footage posted by news website Stuff showed people fleeing from one of the restaurants, including one person who ran out backward holding a chair as a barricade, followed closely by another person holding a weapon. Police said they expect to file more charges against the man who they believe acted alone. Police increased their presence in the area around the restaurants Tuesday. Quote, we acknowledge how frightening this incident was for those involved and for the wider community, and we are ensuring there is support in place for both the victims and their friends and family, end quote, Inspector Stefan Sagar said in a statement. So during his court appearance, the defendant was helped by a Chinese-language interpreter. He was not required to enter a plea. He was granted temporary name suppression, a common outcome in New Zealand's legal system. The restaurants the man entered were Yu's Dumpling Kitchen, Zhengling, Malatang, and Maya Hot Pot. Please don't lynch me if I mispronounce that. They are among a cluster of restaurants on the street that aim to give diners low-cost options reminiscent of Chinese street food offerings. I'm glad they caught him that soon and I'm kind of wondering what's going on with him that he would do that if I'm assuming that the 
victims didn't know who he was. And so if it wasn't personal, what was going on? Interesting. Our next article comes from My NBC 5 and the title reads, Affidavit Reveals Disturbing Details in Harmony Montgomery Death Investigation. The subtitle then says, Adam Montgomery accused of punching his five-year-old daughter in the face or head. So, an affidavit revealing disturbing details in the investigation of the death of five-year-old Harmony Montgomery has been released. The document states that investigators believe Adam Montgomery punched his daughter, Harmony, several times in the face or head on December 7, 2019. According to a statement from Kayla Montgomery, Adam Montgomery then said, quote, I think I really hurt her this time. I think I did something, end quote. News 9 filed a motion to unseal the affidavit, which the judge granted with the caveat that it be unsealed 10 days after Adam Montgomery's weapons trial. So the 48-page document draws heavily on interviews with Adam Montgomery's estranged wife, Kayla, Harmony's stepmother. The affidavit says Kayla Montgomery admitted to lying in her grand jury testimony in which she said she last saw Harmony two days before Thanksgiving 2019. In a later interview with police, Kayla said she and Adam, along with Harmony and two other children, were living in their car after they were evicted from their home on Guilford Street in Manchester. She said that on December 7, 2019, their car broke down, and it was on that day that Adam Montgomery allegedly struck Harmony and killed her. Kayla said her husband repeatedly became angry with Harmony because she wasn't saying when she had to go to the bathroom and kept having accidents in the car. What? Kayla said that after each incident, Adam would get angry and allegedly punch Harmony in the face or the head. Oh, my God. On the morning of December 7th, the family was on the way to a fast food restaurant when Adam allegedly turned around and punched Harmony three or four times, according to the affidavit. Kayla told police that Adam Montgomery said he felt or heard something when he hit Harmony and thought that he had, quote, really hurt her this time, end quote. Kayla told police that Harmony began making a moaning noise for about five minutes and then stopped. Quote, at no time did anyone stop or get Harmony medical attention as a result of this assault, police said in the affidavit. Police said Kayla told them the family went to the restaurant and returned to the Manchester apartment complex parking lot where they were staying. They stayed for about 20 minutes, and Kayla said no one checked on Harmony, according to the affidavit. Kayla said the family then left the parking lot and the car broke down shortly afterward. At that time, Kayla and Adam allegedly discovered that Harmony was dead. According to the affidavit, Kayla Montgomery said Adam Montgomery put Harmony's body in a duffel bag. A friend of the family let them stay in his car for two days, and Kayla Montgomery said her husband allegedly would keep Harmony's body in the bag in the trunk or put the bag out in the snow to slow decomposition. That started a months-long project of moving Harmony's body to various locations in Manchester, according to the affidavit. 
Three weeks after Harmony was allegedly killed, the Montgomery family moved into an apartment at Families in Transition. Kayla told police Harmony was in a trash bag and was placed above a ceiling vent in the bedroom. Detectives accessed the ceiling last summer and discovered staining and a persistent smell that other residents had complained about. The entire ceiling grid was removed for DNA testing. Families in Transition released a written statement confirming that Adam and Kayla, along with their two boys, lived in emergency housing from December 30, 2019 to February 20, 2020. Quote, when we were first contacted by law enforcement about this case, we immediately joined efforts to cooperate in the investigation. We will continue to do everything we can to support the search for answers. End quote. Harmony's body was also allegedly kept in a walk-in freezer at a Manchester restaurant for a week where Adam worked as a dishwasher. The family later moved into a Union Street apartment that was searched last summer. Adam Montgomery allegedly used lime on Harmony's body, which he repackaged to fit inside a refrigerator, according to police. Kayla said Adam used a U-Haul to take the remains somewhere in the spring of 2020 and deliberately didn't tell her where he was going in case there was an investigation. Harmony's body has not been found. Police said Harmony disappeared in 2019, but officials did not become aware of her disappearance until 2021. In December of 21, Manchester police issued a missing persons report, and in August of 2022, the New Hampshire Attorney General's Office declared Harmony a victim of homicide. In October 2022, Adam Montgomery was charged with second-degree murder in her death. This is a developing story, of course. So, wow. That's four years ago. He, he murdered her four years ago. Oh, horrible. And in case I've never actually told you guys, I don't read these articles all the way through. Um, the ones that are sent to me, I just go ahead and put in my phone, the link or whatever in my phone to have it in the lineup for um, articles. But the ones that I find too, the headline grabs me and I might skim just a bit to make sure that it's worthy of Monday morning murder in the news. But actually me reacting to these is live because I haven't actually read these all the way through. So it's like we're reading the newspaper together, guys. So moving on, the next article comes from Inside Edition, and the title reads, Florida House of Horrors. Boy, six, kept in dog cage before stepdad drowned him in the tub, deputies say. Jesus Christ. A subsequent investigation of the incident and the boy's residence resulted in the arrest of the victim's mother, Elise Seymour, and her husband, Trey, on multiple counts of child abuse, according to the booking sheets filed for the two defendants. A Florida couple is behind bars after the death of a six-year-old boy. Anthony Rouse passed away on April 24th, two days after the Polk County Sheriff's Office and Polk County Fire Rescue responded to a report of a child drowning in a bathtub. 
A subsequent investigation of the incident and the boy's residence resulted in the arrest of Anthony's mother, Elise Seymour, and her husband, Trey, on multiple counts of child abuse, according to the booking sheets filed for the two defendants. Elise and Trey both claim they are innocent, and Trey has pleaded not guilty to the charges against him. Both told police that Anthony was in the bathroom alone when he drowned. In addition to the abuse charges, Elise is also facing an additional charge of tampering with a witness after she allegedly told one of her children that she would have Trey choke him if he spoke to police about what he saw on the day of the drowning. Wow. A deputy with the Polk County Sheriff's Office writes in the affidavit filed with the court that the child threatened by Elise witnessed Trey drowning Anthony. During this interview, Redacted, meaning the child's name, disclosed that his first CPT interview was not the truth because he was scared to tell the truth. The child was scared because Elise told him that if he tells the truth, Trey would go to jail, and if Trey goes to jail, she will choke the child, reads the affidavit. During the interview, the child disclosed the victim got in trouble for stealing food, and as a result, Trey took the victim into the bathroom to go, quote, swimming. The affidavit says that the boy then told deputies that, quote, swimming means drowning, and drowning means holding the victim's head underwater. Deputies also said that this child told them that Anthony was kept in a door cage and Elise would pay them or give them candy to beat up the boy. In addition, he said that Trey, quote, performs a chokehold on all the boys to get them to go to sleep, end quote. The bathroom where Anthony drowned and the children's bedroom were all without electricity and the children's clothing and the walls of their room were covered in urine and feces, says the affidavit. Doors of these rooms all locked from the outside as well. Quote, Elise and Trey frequently discussed with one another about willfully putting the victim into a dog cage as a form of torture and malicious punishment. Furthermore, Elise and Trey also used the other children as aides to help put the victim in the cage and hide the victim from people who would come over to the residence, end quote. The affidavit letter states, quote, Trey would single out the victim and take him swimming as a form of torture and malicious punishment. The investigative findings above, coupled with the concerning observations of neglect noted at the incident location, show the ongoing abuse and neglect perpetrated by Trey and Elise, ultimately leading to the death of the victim. Among the evidence collected were a series of text messages sent between Elise and Trey, including one sent the day before Anthony drowned, when Elise wrote to her husband, quote, I want to put him for adoption, end quote. And that is the end of that article. And our next article comes from bakersfieldnow.com. The title reads, Woman who threw her two children off a bridge in 2009 dies in prison, authorities say. 
and I've not read this article yet, but kind of sounds like justice was served to me. So this is coming out of Portland, Oregon. The woman who pleaded guilty to throwing her children off a bridge in Oregon nearly 15 years ago has died in prison, according to authorities. The Oregon Department of Corrections on Sunday said Amanda Stott-Smith died at Coffee Creek Correctional Facility in Wilsonville. Stott-Smith was charged with aggravated murder and attempted aggravated murder in 2009 after she threw her two children off the Selwood Bridge. Eldon Smith, four, died in the fall from a 75-foot fall on May 23, 2009. Trinity Smith, who was seven years old at the time, survived the fall and was rescued after two people heard her screaming In April 2010, Stott-Smith was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 35 years. At her sentencing, Stott-Smith apologized. Quote, I would like to say to all those here today, and especially my children, I'm deeply sorry, she said. Cheryl Robb and Dave Hag were the couple who pulled Trinity and Eldon out of the Willamette River in 2009. They heard Trinity's screams for help and went out on their boat. All in-custody deaths are investigated by the Oregon State Police. The medical examiner will determine Stott-Smith's cause of death. So I guess we don't know what her cause of death is yet. But I hope that... It wasn't a fun one for her. I should add her to uh, murdering mothers. But anyway, I digress. Our next article comes from Fox 10 Phoenix. And the title says, Jury selection underway in a trial of Arizona man accused of killing his teenage stepdaughter. This is in Phoenix. Alyssa was a 17-year-old student at Paradise Valley High School when she disappeared in 2001. She was first reported as a runaway by her stepdad, telling police she left a note and was going to California. However, new information in Alyssa's disappearance led to Michael's arrest. The trial is set to begin on July 6th, though that was the whole article. I apologize. Okay, well, if he killed her, then I hope justice is served. So our next article comes from KAIT8. The title reads, Human Remains Found in Wooded Area. This is coming out of Searcy, Arkansas, so not too far from home for me. Human remains discovered in a wooded area have been sent to the state crime lab for investigation. Identification, my bad. Searcy Police Chief Steve Hernandez said a citizen notified his department around 4 p.m. Friday, June 16th about the remains. According to a Monday news release, officers found the skeletal remains in a wooded area between Hubach Drive and South Poplar Street. Police collected the remains and sent them to the Arkansas State Crime Laboratory for identification. Hernandez said the Federal Bureau of Investigation's evidence recovery team was also contacted for assistance. That is the end of that article, but... There's always human remains found in a wooded area. Jeez. And then to build on from that article, also from KAIT8.com, 
Title reads, Police Estimate Age of Skeletal Remains Found in Searcy. So the Searcy Police Department is sharing new information on skeletal remains found earlier this week, including how old they might be. According to KAIT-8's content sharing partner, KARK, police say the remains found on Friday, June 16th, were there for several weeks or months. The remains were discovered around 4 p.m. by a homeless person in a wooded area between Hubach Loop and South Poplar Street. Searcy Police Chief Steve Hernandez said finding all they can is crucial to getting answers from the Arkansas State Crime Lab. Quote, the first step is to find out who it is, Hernandez said. The more that we can get, the better our chances are of getting DNA results back. Also, the more that we can find, we can possibly see if there is any trauma to parts of the body. End quote. Hernandez said they are looking at missing person cases in and around Searcy as part of the investigation, but have not ruled out homelessness or homicide. Authorities were unable to locate any identification and they could not determine the gender of the person. Well, it, the title says police estimate age of skeletal remains, and I'm. Well, several weeks or months. I thought they meant the age of the person who is now just remains. Oh boy. So, those of you who follow me on Instagram and on the Serial Killing and Instagram fan page on Facebook, you will have seen that I made a quick little video about some extra findings that I found about this Chad Dorman. Um, there was some rumors going around, I can't verify this, so this is allegedly, supposedly, that he had been a mean drunk, he was a belligerent drunk, treated his wife like shit, I don't know that he physically abused her, but the neighbor said that he was always screaming and yelling at her, and he wasn't great to the children either. And a few months ago, his wife, this is all alleged, it's just what I've heard, told him that if he didn't get his shit straight, if he didn't get his head out of his ass, that she was going to divorce him. And he decided, you know, well, I, I'm not going to have that. I don't want to be away from my boys, which is valid, of course. And he said that he didn't want to pay child support. And so, you know, he just decided he'd planned for months that he was going to kill his sons, that the alcohol was more important and that he was going to punish. This is me kind of analyzing the situation now that I feel like that, you know, she didn't want him to have the one thing he loved, which was his alcohol. So he was going to take her three loves, those three beautiful little boys. That's my theory. But we have a last article. It comes from Inside Edition, and the title reads, Ohio Dad, Chad Dorman, pleads not guilty to execution-style murders of three young sons who were shot to death. Ohio Dad, Chad Dorman, appeared in court Friday after a grand jury indicted him on 21 counts, including murder and kidnapping in the shooting deaths of his three young sons, and might I add, all three of them aged six and under. The prosecutor said, quote, my goal is to have this man executed. So Ohio father Chad Dorman pleaded not guilty Friday to the execution style murders of his three young sons who were lined up and shot as their screaming mother tried to intervene, authorities said. 
Dorman, 32, appeared before Claremont County Judge Victor Haddad Friday morning, shackled at his waist and feet to answer a 21-count indictment issued Thursday. He was charged with nine counts of aggravated murder, eight counts of kidnapping, and four counts of felonious assault. If convicted, he could face the death penalty. Quote, my goal is to have this man executed for slaughtering these three young boys. It is an incomprehensible act of horror that he perpetuated on this family, end quote, said Claremont County Prosecutor Mark Tekolv. Dorman was ordered held without bail pending a pretrial hearing scheduled for July 5th. The prosecutor also revealed new details about last week's horrific killings during Friday's court hearing. So four-year-old Hunter Dorman was the first to die after being shot twice in the head inside the family's home. I'm sorry, not six years old, seven. Seven-year-old Clayton was next, the prosecutor said. The child was shot in the back as he ran for his life through a field and fell in the grass. His father followed him and shot him in the head. Next, the dad ripped three-year-old Chase from the arms of his mother and, quote, put a bullet in his head. Authorities said last week that Dorman acknowledged killing his sons and had planned the shootings for months, they said. A possible motive was not released. The father was arrested June 15th after Claremont County Sheriff's deputies responded to frantic 911 calls, which, side note, I have listened to, including one from the children's distraught mother who screamed her, quote, babies had been shot. An upset neighbor also called for help, saying a teenage girl was running down a street shouting for help. Quote, she said that her stepfather is killing everybody in her house. I asked her to get in the car with me, but she said she couldn't leave her family. I think she ran to the fire department, the female caller told 911, according to the audio released of the call. The girl was not injured, authorities said. The mother was shot in the hand trying to protect her sons, according to the investigators. I cannot when it comes to kids, guys. I just cannot. I cannot. Wow, I did not mean to make Monday Morning Murder in the News such a bummer and leave us on such a negative note. Hug your babies, guys. Tell them you love them. Try to find some more patience when they, when things are going wrong. Okay? Love one another. Let's get through this week. I'm a little upset that the weekend is already over myself, you know, but what are we going to do? We have to endure. We got to work, right? So behave yourselves. Just remember that Auntie Alyssa doesn't have bail money right now. <laughs> Love you guys. Bye-bye.